Are the highly popular forms of intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding any better than daily calorie restriction for weight loss and improved health? That's what we're going to discuss on this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you'll hear the real-world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master, their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. By now, you've probably heard all about the benefits of intermittent fasting, from weight loss to longevity to autophagy to improved performance. But which of these claims are supported by the scientific evidence and which ones have been incorrectly propagated despite well-intentioned bloggers, biohackers, health practitioners, your next-door neighbor who swears by skipping breakfast, or maybe your coworker who only eats one meal per day. Today I'm joined by Dr. Krista Verity, professor of nutrition at the University of Illinois Chicago, to share the benefits and dispel some of the common misconceptions around intermittent fasting. Dr. Verity is one of the foremost experts in intermittent fasting and author of The Every Other Day Diet. Having spent the last 15 years researching the various forms, her research focuses on the efficacy of intermittent fasting for weight loss, weight maintenance, and metabolic disease risk reduction in obese adults. Her work is funded by the National Institute of Health, the American Heart Association, International Life Sciences Institute, and the University of Illinois. She has published over 70 publications on this topic. In this episode, we discuss what is intermittent fasting and the three different forms, including alternate day fasting, the 5-2 diet, and time-restricted feeding. The nuances of each form of fasting as it pertains to meal timing, meal frequency, and macronutrient intake within each of those respective fasting modalities. The differences in weight loss between various forms of intermittent fasting and daily calorie restriction or lack thereof. The practicality of intermittent fasting techniques and behavioral change, long-term compliance, and overall success rates. And finally, some of the common misconceptions with intermittent fasting and improvements in health. This was an absolutely enlightening conversation that helped me and hopefully will help you get a deeper understanding of just how effective intermittent fasting can be as a tool to facilitate long-term, healthy, and realistic weight loss. And most importantly, shed light to the fact that when it comes to weight loss, there's no magic pills, potions, or diets. Rather, a myriad of behavioral change tools, like intermittent fasting, that can help you more effectively control your daily calorie intake in a way that works for you. Before you dive in, I have a quick favor to ask. If you love what you hear on this show, then please subscribe leave a positive rating and review in iTunes, and share this episode with a friend or loved one whom you think could benefit. It's the best way for you and me to help more people get the no-nonsense, realistic, life-changing information that they need and want. 
With that said, thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang with me. Here is Dr. Krista Verity. Krista, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. How are you? Oh, good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, So you are one of the foremost experts in intermittent fasting. Um, You've been doing this research for, what, about 15 years now? Yeah, that's right. About 15 years. I'm curious, what prompted you to get into... Uh, intermittent fasting at a time when it probably wasn't being, you know, no one knew what it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, well, I was actually originally, I was doing a, a postdoc at UC Berkeley, and I originally wanted to study daily calorie restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just kind of interested in dietary interventions for weight management. And obviously, back then in like the mid 2000s, daily calorie restriction was a pretty big deal. I guess it still is. Um, And then so we're running some trials uh, as well as in my PhD of daily calorie restriction. And I noticed that people really struggled with that diet. Mm -hmm. People got really sick of like recording their calories every day. They just got really like burnt out uh, probably about after probably about a month or so. So then I thought, well, do people really have to diet every day to lose weight? Or potentially can they diet every other day and still see the same amount of weight loss? So then um, my supervisor at the time and I, um, yeah, we basically decided to test out this alternate day fasting in, uh, in human subjects to see if people kind of greatly reduce their calories every other day, if that would produce the same amount of weight loss or potentially even more weight loss than a daily restriction regimen. And so from the research you ran with that, what, what did the findings show? Oh, so that was, yeah, one of our, our first, or I think, yeah, one of, no, it was the first study of uh, kind of fasting for weight loss. And we saw that it, it actually worked. Um, but to be honest with you, before I started, like before we started the study, I was a little worried that it wouldn't work just because, you know, it's asking a lot of people like to eat just, it's so alternate day fasting, just to kind of back up a bit involves basically a fast day where someone consumes 500 calories as either a lunch or a dinner. And then that's alternated with something we call a feast day. And that's Mm. when people can truly just kind of eat whatever they want. Uh, We do give people dietary counseling to try to eat healthier, like less processed foods and stuff like that. But um, the nice benefit of the diet is that you really get like every other day to just feel normal, eat normally and socialize with people and not have to worry about dieting. Um, so yeah, on paper, I thought, well, this, you know, people are going to love this because they get every other day off dieting. But then at the same time, I was like, is it really realistic to ask someone who probably eats like two to 3000 calories a day to drop their calories to 500 calories every other day? So I was pretty worried that people would just like drop out right away. But, um, we actually found that people over two months could stick to the diet on 90% of the, the fast days. And they lost, what was the range in that first study? They lost, I think, 10 to 30 pounds in that one. So I think it was an average of 6%, 5 or 6% weight loss over two months. So yeah, that's right on par with what you'd see with like daily calorie restriction. Okay, so if the two were compared head to head, it would be equivalent. But the beauty in that is they get a little more freedom or at least exactly. the ability to eat more on certain days and restrict a little bit more. You know, the downside is then they have to conversely restrict a little bit more on those other days. 
That's right. Yeah. And then um, the diet, it works pretty well for most people. We find that the people that tend to drop out of the study are um, frequent snackers. So if someone needs to eat like every two to three hours, they tend to not do so well with um, with uh, alternate day fasting. So yeah, that's kind of what we learned so far in terms of like who can do the diet or not. And not to get too far down the rabbit hole with the alternate day fasting, because obviously I want to talk about different forms of intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding, but within the alternate day fasting, have you played around with uh, a variance in macronutrient ratios within the, uh, at least the, the fasting days versus, uh, and the feasting days or just the fasting days? Uh, yeah, yeah, we have. So we recently just, I believe it was actually just a couple days ago, published a study. It finally came out um, where we combined alternate day fasting with a low carbohydrate diet because, um, you know, low carbohydrate diets have been shown to kind of boost weight loss. So we wondered if we could see a little bit more weight loss with alternate day fasting if we added on that low carb component. And we found that it, it did actually boost weight loss a little bit. So it was a six-month study in uh, obese men and women. And typically, over six months, people lose maybe like 5 to 6%. Um, and then uh, with the low-carb component, they lost uh, close to 8% of body weight. So it did boost it a little bit. Uh, we're hoping for more, but, um, but that, that's our main finding for that. And when, when you say weight loss, was there a change in, in lean muscle mass or was it fat mass? Um, uh, yeah, so in, in most of our, well, with daily calorie restriction or a typical weight loss diet, most people will lose about 75% of their weight as fat mass and about mm -hmm. 25% as lean mass if they're not like exercising. Right. Um, and so with that study, we did see a preservation of lean mass, but that's probably because they were also consuming a pretty high protein diet at the same time. So it was low carb, high protein, which it usually is if it's low carb. Um, so I think it was about, what was it, 30, on average, it was about 35% protein. So they did preserve lean mass there. In fact, I believe it went up a little bit. So if it's 35% protein, what, what specifically was the ratio of carbohydrate for, to be considered low carb? So the study I have to mention was funded by Nestle. So we use these like low carb, high protein shakes from Nestle. So we okay. kind of had to just like go by that macronutrient. Um, and it was less than, what was it? It was 30% carbohydrates. So that's so not, not super low yeah. carb. But um, on the fast day, they were still consuming, let me see, I'm sorry, I, I, we, I'm involved, we have like five clinical trials, <laughs> all time, so I'm trying That's to fine. remember, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I should probably pull out these papers. Um, I believe it was still considered, I think it was around 50 grams of carbs on the fast day. So it was, you know, it wasn't below like the 20 grams, the, the very low carbohydrate diets, but it was still definitely ketogenic on the, on the fast days. Yeah, so, I mean, and that seems like to be 30% carbs on non-fasting days, that seems like a pretty decent chunk of carbs. You know, certainly relative to the average American diet, um, it may be low, but um, it seems pretty reasonable. So that, that's, that's really interesting. Now, how did your uh, research sort of evolve into different, different forms of, of intermittent fasting? Um, and I'd love for you to talk about kind of what the different forms are and maybe 
kind of just give us a definition of exactly what is intermittent fasting? Oh, yeah, sure. So intermittent fasting really just means a period of eating followed by a period of fasting. It's a, yeah, it's a pretty simple concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, so what really confuses people is basically just all the terminology out yeah. there. So intermittent fasting is an umbrella term for three different diets. The first one uh, is alternate day fasting. So again, that's like 500 calories every other day. Uh, And then with that feast day in between, and that just literally flip-flops like that indefinitely. So feast day, fast day, feast day, fast day. And then the second kind is the 5-2 diet. So that's a diet that's really popular in the UK right now. Mm. And that's kind of a spinoff of alternate day fasting, which involves just two fast days per week. So if someone's kind of struggling to squeeze in all those fast days, there's the option of just basically having two 500 calorie days per week and then five feast days per week. Are those back to back or or a different um, altering days, alternating days? Like non-consecutive. You can choose. So most of the research in that area has done it consecutive days, but um, most people choose to do it like on a Monday or Wednesday. Having a fast day on a weekend is really difficult. Yeah, it wouldn't be very realistic. Most people, (laughs) yeah, even with alternate day fasting, I find a lot of people say like, you know what? I had a fast day on a Saturday, but I just couldn't hack it. So most people try to stick to like Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something. That makes sense. Um, Yeah, yeah. And then the kind of newer form of intermittent fasting, the third kind is time-restricted feeding. And that's when people eat within a certain window of time each day. So a really popular version of that is 16-8. So that would be when people eat within like an eight-hour window each day. And you can pick the window of time. A lot of people, like whenever I give talks, they come up to me after and they're like, oh yeah, I've been doing time-restricted feeding forever. And I like to do like 12 to 8. I find most people just kind of pick 12 to 8 because they find it easiest with their schedule. Um, skipping dinner is really hard for people because, yeah. you know, just like eating with family and stuff like that. Or I don't know, there's people that will like make dinner and then like have to skip it and just watch their family eat it. So <laughs> if they're like following something else, which, you know, long term, that seems pretty tricky. Um, and then there's other forms of time restricted feeding too. Uh, we did a study of eight hour time restricted feeding. Uh, And then we're just about to publish a study for four hour and six hour time restricted feeding. And and that's all for like weight loss. Um, One other thing. So during the, the really cool thing about time restricted feeding is that really all you have to do is watch the clock. You don't have to count calories. You don't have to count carbs or change your pantry or anything like that. You really just kind of set a time that you're going to eat every day. So let's say in our studies for the eight hour one, we have people do 10 to six mm-hmm. and, uh, and the rest of the time. So after 6 PM and up to 10 AM the next morning, people just consume water or like non like caloric beverages, like black coffee or black tea. We do allow in our studies like one or two diet sodas, but we try to limit those because those can increase um, sugar craving a bit. So just to clarify, because I think this is one of the most fascinating things about time-restricted feeding is when you're comparing um, time-restricted feeding, it's it's not necessarily uh, caloric restriction. So, So in other words, if you're taking an eight-hour eating window uh, or a six hour eating window and you're comparing that to someone that eats over a course of 12 hours uh, you know all calories being equal um the 
the, the time-restricted feeding group will have equivalent uh, no. or better weight loss? Uh, so this is uh, so, okay. So just to back up again, there are, I, I do like weight management trials yes. and, um, there's only, it's funny cause time restricted feeding right now is so popular, but people don't understand that there's only like four or five human studies of time restricted feeding out there. So there's like a hundred diet books on it, but they're all based on like, well, probably nothing, but, uh, you know, there's really only four studies out there. So human, our, human trials, yeah, sorry, human trials, yeah. there's tons of animal data, yeah. but unfortunately we're not with intermittent fasting, it's really hard to reproduce what we see in animals and humans in general. Um, so in our eight hour time restricted feeding study, which was published a couple of years ago, we actually found like, I think one of the coolest things that we found was not only that people lost weight, but they lost weight because restricting their time to just eight hours per day made them unintentionally cut 300 calories yeah. out of their okay. diet. So it is, it is like another way of fooling the body into eating less. And then with our four hour and six hour windows that we, a study that we just finished, uh, we found that that actually makes people cut about 600 calories out of their diet. So I think a lot of people ask me like, oh, why, you know, what's the magic of it? And I really think it's just calorie cutting. Um, <laughs> But I think you're you're referring to there was a study published by Courtney Peterson, I think about mm -hmm. a year or two ago, and then they looked at early time restricted feeding, and they fed everyone. It was a small study, but they like fed everyone, so they made sure that they weren't losing any weight. And um, in that study, they they still saw the improvements despite no weight loss. So they saw like de improved insulin sensitivity, decreased blood pressure. Um, and a couple different other metabolic disease risks. So, so yeah, it may actually work without weight loss as well, which is a really cool aspect of the diet. Hey brother, are you struggling to find the energy to function at your best as a businessman, father, and husband? I want you to know you're not alone. And sadly, the conventional wisdom these days around healthy eating and exercise that has saturated the mainstream is flat out wrong. If you want to find the solution to optimizing your energy and body composition without restrictive dieting, soul-crushing workouts, or adding more to your already stressful and overflowing schedule so that you can finally function like the man you know you can be, then we need to chat. Are you ready to move from exhausted to energized by working smarter, not harder? Go ahead and schedule your free strategy call at www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up. I'm looking forward to our conversation and enjoy the rest of the show. So with that said, so what, moving beyond weight loss, what are we seeing as the benefits of some of these forms of intermittent fasting, specifically time-restricted feeding in terms of glucose metabolism, insulin regulation, um, you know, lipid management, uh, and so on? Yeah. So basically, Dr. Peterson's study that I just mentioned is the only one, to my knowledge, that has tested it. Um, where they've just maintained the weight. Um, oh, no, that's not true. I think there was a, one or two other studies where they tested it in athletes, like resistance-trained people. And then they saw the same thing where it's basically it helps reduce insulin resistance so that can help people uh, basically lower their chance of developing type 2 diabetes. Um, and then it also helps to lower insulin levels as well. But the diets tend to not have any effect on them. Um, glucose, but I should say that most of these people were healthy or pre-diabetic, so glucose is still pretty well, well regulated there. Um, but I think, I really think that 
a lot of it if it's just like a free living person. Um, because the studies I just mentioned, they all fed the people. So it's it was like a really kind of contrived thing where it's like, you know, you don't day to day, you're not like fed so you don't lose weight. Yeah. But if you give these diets to people in a real world setting like we have in our studies, people do lose weight and it's because of the calorie restriction in my opinion. I just, I really don't think there's anything that magical about the diets. I think it's really just, again, another way of like getting people to eat less. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So it's almost, it's just by virtue of the rules in place of like you're, you know, you only have an eight hour window or that's what we're suggesting or a six hour window. There's only so many calories that someone's really willing or wanting to eat within exactly. that time frame, And especially when we're talking about, you know, I talk about with this uh, to clients all the time is if, if I sort of give you the guidelines of try and stop eating before seven or 8 PM, well, you know, that the majority of the American population consumes most of their calories between what, five and 10 PM. So yeah, yeah, exactly. If you, if you so, cut that in half, obviously you're going to be restricting your calories. Exactly. That's really interesting. So what about some of the research suggesting, and I don't know how much there is about the kind of timing of eating relative to our circadian rhythms and what our bodies sort of naturally uh, supposed to eat when it, when, you know, hormones are highest yeah. and versus when we sleep and digest and so on and so forth. Yeah. So the main thing that just with um, kind of timing of eating that seems to be that we've kind of learned over the past couple of decades is that people are a lot more insulin sensitive in the morning. So that means that they can like process blood sugar, or just put away sugar a lot mm -hmm. more easily in the morning. And then kind of as the day progresses, uh, people's insulin se sensitivity tends to go down. So in general, kind of a, a take home message from this is that it would probably be better if you're doing time restricted feeding to like consume most of those calories in the morning. So once you wake up, and then, you know, so if you're doing an eight hour one, maybe you could do like eight to four or seven to three or something. Um, I just don't think, you know, and then maybe that would help you like regulate your glucose levels better. Um, it's still, that still hasn't been tested uh, just in terms of like early versus late time restricted mm -hmm. eating again, because like the area is so new. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely kind of a, an important question that has to be asked. I just don't think... I don't know, with my studies, I'm not really like a mechanisms person. Um, I'm more of like a feasibility, like I'm always just looking for new ways of to like manipulate dietary patterns to help people like control their calorie intake. So that's really why I'm interested in like intermittent fasting is mainly for like weight management and um, just prevention of like metabolic diseases like heart disease and diabetes. And I just don't think, realistically, I just don't think people are going to eat from seven to three. Like it's really, really hard. Like maybe if they're, I don't know if they're shift workers of some sort, like maybe, well actually no, then that would totally mess up their circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> I, don't, I just, I don't know. Whenever we did like a meal timing study with alternate day fasting, because we had a lot of questions with that where people were like, well, where do I place those 500 calories? Um, so, you know, should I, we would always tell people to have that meal as a lunch. Um, and the only reason we originally said that was just to standardize it between subjects. 
Um, and I just thought, you know, going into this, since there was barely any research before, it would just be easier for people to kind of break up their work day with a meal. Because, you know, personally, it would be really hard for me to like not eat anything until like 6 or 7 p.m. at night, like when I would have like dinner with my family or something. But um, when we ran this meal timing study, we compared basically consuming that meal, that 500 calories as either a lunch, dinner, or a small meal throughout the day. And we found that it didn't really impact weight loss at all. People could kind of do it whenever. But um, just kind of like anecdotally, all the subjects in like the dinner time group were way happier. They thought it was way easier to do. We had a lot of complaints about like feasibility in the, uh, the lunchtime group. And then even in the small meals group, we made them consume like 100 calories kind of spread throughout the day. And they thought that that was actually pretty brutal because like when you're hungry and if you only get to eat 100 calories, it's kind of like an insult, like a slap. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um, so we found out that that was not a very popular form. So sure, time-restricted feeding is probably best for you if you consume most of your calories before 3 p.m. So a lot of the meal timing studies are showing that. But like, are Americans really going to do that? Probably not. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. So, you know, in theory is that could be most beneficial, but how much more beneficial is it going to be if you can't really stick to it in terms of saying, you know, should you go between seven or eight and two or 3 p.m.? But right, what person's lifestyle is going to allow them to realistically do that? Certainly exactly. no one with a family or kids or, yeah, exactly. you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and again, it's just that like so many social things happen at night, you know, most like parties or social events or, you know, just like a lot of those things happen in the evenings or around dinner time. So, you know, realistically, I don't think we can ask people to have this like morning lifestyle of eating. Nonetheless, you would you suggest based on your research that, it would be beneficial for people to curb their evening eating patterns to a certain point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned before is that people eat a lot of their food after I think it's like five or 6 PM. And I think you're probably referencing, there's a study by Gill and Panda um, that mm -hmm. came out in cell metabolism, I think like four or five years ago. And it was such a fascinating study. They were looking at basically like when people ate during the day and um, the, the cool thing in that is that they, they found out that there's no like set meals, like people don't eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. People are basically always eating. <laughs> there's like these really cool diagrams just showing that people are just like constantly consuming something right. like every hour or so. Um, but then one of the cool things for that study as well is that they found out that people were consuming, I can't remember the exact percentage, but I think you're right, like more than half their calories past like 5 p.m. or something. So it, uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of amazing. Um, you know, we're really kind of like an evening. Americans consume so much in the evening. So That's certainly what I've observed. I don't know what the research says, but that's certainly what I've observed just in clinical practice over the years. Yeah. And so obviously that makes sense to like, okay, well, what can we do? And that's why the beauty of some of these intermittent fasting techniques is instead of saying, don't eat this, that, or the other, simply giving a somewhat of a rule of saying, can you stop eating by 8 p.m.? In which case, you don't even tell them what they can't do per se. It's just, you know, you're giving them the guidelines of, okay, and, and that can help manage calorie intake. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
it's funny. I've been, I was studying alternate day fasting for a while, but now I definitely want to move into time restricted feeding because it seems, it honestly just seems the easiest for people. We, uh, we always give people exit surveys. Um, so with alternate day fasting, we only find that like 20% of people still want to continue the diet after. Whereas with our time restricted feeding studies, it's more like 80 or 90% of people say that they'll continue doing this because they just find it like easy. Um, and the more, most important thing, like, as like clinicians and you know just people in in the health industry like we just have to realize like people just need to do something that they can incorporate into their lifestyle and that's probably something that really closely mimics what they're already doing so i always say like you know intermittent fasting is not for everyone it's not like the the be all end all diet it's not better than calorie restriction we published a study in jama showing that it basically produces the same amount of weight loss over a year but um yeah, it's just people should do kind of something that's similar to what their normal dietary pattern is. So if you eat a lot of like meat and vegetables, then maybe low carb is good for you. If you really love recording stuff on your phone, then yeah, maybe daily calorie restriction is good for you. But don't try to like squeeze yourself into like this new pattern of eating because sure, you might be able to lose some weight over like two or three months, but then, you know, you're probably not going to do it long term and then you're just going to gain all the weight back. So just, yeah, try to find, there's so many different diet options out there. Try to find something that closely resembles what you're already doing, but helps you control yourself a little bit more. And then hopefully that will work for you long-term. Hey guys, real quickly, I want to talk to you about my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. This is a comprehensive exercise formula that I personally created after experiencing years of frustration, working with hundreds of individuals and athletes that were not getting the nutrition that they needed before, during, and after their workouts. After using numerous workout powders that were low quality, overpriced, chock full of caffeine and artificial sweeteners, and were flat out useless, I said enough is enough, and figured out how to create a nutritionally dense, comprehensive and high quality product with ingredients that you can feel good about taking and giving to your family. When you use Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You'll save time, money, and energy, and get all of the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. It's just the ingredients that you need to give you great natural energy, improve your recovery and reduce your muscle soreness with no caffeine or artificial sweeteners. You can learn more about our complete essentials at bslnutritionshop.com and check out the show notes below for a nice little discount on your first purchase as my way of saying thank you for listening. That's it. Let's head back to the show. Yeah, because we know it's all about calorie control. And this is often a way that I work with clients to help them manage their calories ultimately is saying, okay, well, if we need to reduce our calories by 10 or 20%, what if we simply just pushed back your eating window or pushed forward your eating window a couple hours? And it seems to work really well. Now within that, um, and not to get too myopic, but within the eating window, you had mentioned that people tend to be more insulin sensitive earlier on in the day. So theoretically, it could make sense, on, and you tell me if there's something to back this up, to uh, kind of front load your uh, carbs earlier on in the day versus you know, later on. 
Oh, if there's any studies for that, there, there might be, I, I'm not, I'm actually not, not aware of that, but it would make sense mechanistically, like just, you know, um, because mm -hmm. you're more insulin sensitive. So you could put that, the, the sugar away basically. Um, but yeah, I'm not actually aware of studies that, uh, have tested that out. I think like in this area, I think the major thing we need to do is really kind of compare what Courtney Peterson did, the early time restricted feeding, um, to kind of what we're doing where, so in our studies, we usually have people consume it. I, I was telling you like 10 to, uh, 10 to six. And then in our four hour and six hour version of the diet, we actually had them consume them in the afternoon. So for four hours, it was between, um, what was it? I think it was one and five. And then mm -hmm. for the other one, I think it was something like one, two, seven. So it was all in the afternoon, just so they could have like kind of like a dinner with their families. But we really need to compare the early versus the late, like head to head to see if there's like any benefits of the early one. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, especially related to some of the physiological benefits. And that kind of goes back to some of the circadian biology of, are we positively influencing 24 hour glucose metabolism, cortisol patterns, and then maybe even, you know, looking into um, some of the benefits of uh, you know, kind of ketogenic aspects of like BDNF or autophagy. Mm -hmm. um, well, autophagy, it's so funny because pe people are always asking, they're like, oh, intermittent fasting is so great because it like increases autophagy. But what people don't seem to understand is that that's never been tested in humans. Like we have no ability to test that in humans yet. So we've seen that in like yeast and worms. I'm not even hmm. sure if it's been shown in like rodent models. Um, so nothing even like close to, to humans. And then, you know, I, I hope it, it's like one of the mechanisms, oh, to kind of explain what it is. So autophagy is when, um, literally means like self eating. Right. So it's thought that with fasting, fasting is, uh, potentially beneficial because it gives your body a break from just constantly being bombarded with nutrients. And then when it has that time to like kind of not be processing nutrients. It has time to kind of look inward on itself and just kind of look at what cell components are not working that well anymore. So it literally kind of just eats them up or like destroys them. So that's what autophagy is. But um, again, it, it's a beautiful mechanism on paper, but it's right. never ever been shown in humans. And it's, there's so many, I see like all these blogs and people talking about like, Oh, I'm gonna, I need to do this to like increase my autophagy. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. But you know, hopefully somebody will show it soon because it, it would make a lot of sense. You know, that's so interesting. So I, on that same vein, are there any other misconceptions about intermittent fasting that you're constantly hearing that might be worth addressing? Uh, I would just say at this point, a lot of the, the things that people are talking about in blogs and stuff are just a little too ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. You know, for in general, for intermittent fasting, I think in total, there's maybe 25 like studies out there and that includes time restricted feeding in humans. So it's definitely something like when I started studying this, you know, 15 years ago, there was two studies and there was like basically nothing out there. So now that it's becoming more popular, there's definitely more research, but um, it's really, you know, all the, all these, like, it's just a little overblown, like what people are saying about it. It definitely works for weight loss, but it's not better than, any other diet basically. So that, that's something I definitely want to clarify. Oh, that's great. Um, and another thing is like safety aspects. People often ask about that. So 
Um, people are concerned that intermittent fasting gives people eating disorders. Um, that that's incorrect. We've um, studied this in people. Um, oh well, one thing I should mention is that we don't recruit people with a history of eating disorders into our studies. I don't think that the diets would work well for them, particularly people with binge eating disorders. We um, made the mistake of not excluding that group of people, and those people just basically ate. They were binging during the feeding periods. Um, and then we've tested this just scientifically and found that people that didn't have a history of eating disorders, it didn't increase their like propensity to develop eating disorders. So that's um, one thing to keep in mind. And then um, just in terms, people always are worried that it kind of like messes up your metabolism. Um, that was something that I heard all the time when I would like give talks. But uh, we, we've tested that head to head as well, fasting compared to daily calorie restriction. And the thing to remember is that when you lose weight, your body, your, your metabolic rate will go down just by like 50 or 100 calories, basically in relation to, to how much weight you're losing. Because um, basically your fat-free mass, your lean mass predicts your metabolic rate, what right. predicts like 85% of it. So as you lose weight, you're going to lose a little bit of that if you're not doing like heavy resistance training. And then as that goes down, so does your metabolism. So when we test fasting and calorie restriction head to head, we find that they produce the same kind of minor decreases in metabolic rate, you know, just that you would see regularly with um, weight loss. So yeah, two kind of important safety considerations to keep in mind. No, that's great. I appreciate you bringing those to light. And, um, so kind of to sum things up here is, and, and actually before I get into that last question related to intermittent fasting and it sounds like, or could we conclude that, you know, the physiological benefits of intermittent fasting are the same benefits that someone would gain simply by losing weight in terms of better glucose control, better insulin management, um, possibly improved lipid function, um, and so on and so forth. Is that fair? I, I think so. I think, you know, if you talk to some other scientists in the field, they may disagree with that. But from what I've seen and from the studies, we've run like thousands of people through different studies at this point. And yeah, my general conclusion is that it's because of weight loss that we're seeing like the reductions in blood pressure and cholesterol levels and improvements in insulin sensitivity. So all in all, this is really just a kind of fancy nuanced way of helping people control their calories on a daily basis, obviously, and, and the beauty of the varying ways of doing it is someone can find a way that really works best for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just find something you can stick to long term. Maybe, you know, it might not be intermittent fasting, but find something that works for you that you can incorporate into your lifestyle. And, you know, it'd be great if it was intermittent fasting. But again, if you're a frequent snacker, you know, it's probably it's probably not for you. Got it. So last question, if there, you know, is there any advice that you would offer based on your years of experience regarding intermittent fasting for both weight loss and improved health? Um, what would that advice be? Just, you know, generally speaking. Um, Practical. Yeah. So the main thing I, I always want to point out is the first 10 days of these diets is pretty tough. So we get like most of our dropouts happen in the first 10 days. Um, it's just hard to either adjust to that up down pattern of eating or like confining the kind of window of eating is pretty tricky. 
So a lot of people get um, headaches in the first 10 days. Uh, they also feel like fairly irritable, but then that tends to kind of disappear after about a week and a half. Um, and the headaches occur because people aren't drinking enough water. It's basically because of dehydration. Um, because, you know, if you're eating less food, you don't realize you're also consuming less water because there's a lot yeah. of water in food. Um, so, yeah, make sure you keep your water intake up on those days. Try to drink as much water as you can. Um, and then, yeah, you can uh, avoid those headaches. But those are – that's one important thing. Um, another thing is if you want to try alternate day fasting – Try to consume um, a fair amount of protein on the fast days. So we usually ask people to try to consume about 50 grams of protein. So have like, you know, like a salad with a lot of like either meat or like beans or something in there. Or you can make yourself like a high protein shake, something like that. Um, and then that basically helps stave off hunger because you can get pretty hungry on the fast day. Um, so yeah, higher protein would help with that. That's awesome. So that's like... 40% of their calories from protein on those fast days. That's and to right, clarify, yeah. you, you know, you mentioned the feast day. You're basically recommending, and, and maybe this would be a good time to talk about your book, The Every Other Day Diet. Uh, yeah. So, and then on the feast days, we, well, technically you can do whatever you want, but when we run our studies, we always give people kind of like one-on-one -on -one personalized dietary counseling throughout the studies to try to get them to increase their fruit and vegetable intake, lower their processed food intake, that type of thing. Um, I have to say though, sadly, it basically never works. Um, it's really, really hard for people to change kind of like the types of foods they eat. Um, but of course, you know, eating better, like diet quality can help with like long-term disease risk uh, reduction. So that that's pretty important. But um, a question I often get is like, well, what happens if I'm you know, if I'm consuming 500 calories every other day and it's like not high quality food, will I still lose weight? And I'm like, well, technically yes, but yeah. you know, you should, yeah, it's really calories in calories right. out in my opinion. But, um, you know, so they're like, can I just eat McDonald's? And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that because it's definitely not good for your body long-term. Um, but yeah, you would actually still lose the weight. So you know, kind of another thing to consider. But what you've observed is that on fasting days, people tend to not go off the rails. Like they'll still eat crappy foods, you know, which would be normal for their dietary behaviors. But within that is they're not binging per se. No, no, they, um, most people, so the longest study we've run is up to a year and people, they do at the beginning, like the first two months or so, people are pretty good at sticking to the 500 calories. They'll eat five or 600 calories, but when you get to month eight or nine and they're trying to still do this, then they're going to be consuming probably closer to like 800. So it's 800 or even like a thousand. So they're not totally binging, but it is hard for people to maintain that long term. Yeah. Um, the cool thing, the other thing I should point out is um, people don't binge on the feast day. So when, when I started running this, I was really scared that, you know, if you're having 500 calories one day, well, what are you going to do the next day in response mm -hmm. to that? And we find, again, over like hundreds and hundreds of people that people only eat about 10% more than what they usually do on the feast days. So it does not result in like binging at all. People actually find that they get like fuller faster on these diets. Yeah. They feel like more in control of their appetite as well. So that, that's another benefit. Great. Well, it's been super helpful. Thank you very much for clarifying all of this and, and taking the time to educate our listeners and myself included. So um, tell us just uh, quickly about your book. 
Oh, sure. So uh, I published a book on, this is, uh, it's only on alternate day fasting. Uh, it's called The Every Other Day Diet. It's available on Amazon. Beautiful. <laughs> Krista, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, and I, I'm really grateful for everything that you're doing in our field, nutrition field, and uh, bringing all of this information to light. So continue the great work. Thank you so much. Oh, great. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Bye. Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic, and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.